Hey, listeners, this is your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. If you're looking for a way to support my podcast, here are three quick things you can do. Number one, visit iTunes and review the show. More reviews help get the word out. Number two, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara and support my shows. A dollar a month helps a little, and five bucks a month helps a whole lot more and gets you some neat things in return. Number three, tell a friend about the show by sharing links to your favorite episodes via social media. As always, thanks for listening and supporting my podcasts. And now, on with the show. Now, button, button, who's got the button? It's over there. Here. Yeah. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With the Robo here. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which we play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, we will be discussing BC's Quest for Tires. Do you know the name of the three human characters that appear in this game? You will, after listening to this episode. But before we get started with this game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy Headlines. Well, hello and welcome back to Sprite Castle. There's been a, a pretty large break in recording while I was finishing up last semester. Uh, we're still edging towards the end of that uh, master degree in professional writing. And it turns out taking 10 credit hours is a lot of hours <laughs> to take in one semester, especially when you have a full-time job and a family and all those other obligations. So podcasts kind of got pushed down to the bottom, but I am off for the summer. And when I have free time, one of the first things I do to fill that time is pick up a joystick and load up some of my old favorite Commodore 64 games. And that brings us to this episode. I probably have received feedback and lots of feedback over the past several months. But to be honest with you, I've either responded to it uh, through Facebook or Twitter or email. And so I don't have much to read right here on news. Uh, some of this, now that I'm looking at it, may be slightly outdated, but we'll run through real quick the news headlines that I have here, and then we'll get back up to speed for the next episode. It looks like Yape, which is yet another plus four emulator, has been uh, recently updated, and this says version 1.1.1, but I believe there's another version since then. Uh, this is a good emulator if you're looking for plus four, and I assume... Commodore 16 emulation. I'm still a Commodore 64 guy at heart, and so I largely use WinVice for my Commodore emulation. But Yape is an interesting one to check out, as is, uh, I believe this is Hawks S64. I believe that's the way you say that. It has also uh, been updated to version 1092. So if Vice or WinVice doesn't uh, meet your needs, then maybe you want to check out this other Commodore 64 emulator. The ice pick cartridge, if you're familiar with ice pick, and, and even if you're not familiar with the cartridge, if you played a lot of Commodore 64 games or have downloaded lots of them, you're probably familiar with that ice pick logo, the blue on blue screen that pops up. Ice pick was the first memory uh, capture cartridge for the Commodore 64 that allowed you to dump 
the contents of memory to a file and then load it back in from that file. So basically that was a very simple and easy way to quote unquote crack software once the game was, if the game totally loaded into memory, then once it was loaded, all you had to do was flip a switch on your ice pick cartridge and then save it to a floppy disk. And then you could pass that around to your friends. Ice pick was only on the market for about six months, according to this news story, which makes it valuable and hard to find. I had one uh, back in the 1980s and I still have it, but if you've always wanted an ice pick cartridge, then uh, good news. It is being remade by Core i64. They are selling for $65. Uh, they look almost identical to the original. There's a couple of slight differences that you would, if you put two side by side, you'd be able to tell the remake to the original. But if you've always wanted an ice pick, now, uh, the freeze and save ability was built into lots of cartridges after the ice pick, like super snapshot final cartridge. Um, so there are a lot of other cartridges that can do the same thing, but ice pick was the original. And so I think there's some nostalgia factor for ice pick. So if you always wanted to own one, then you could go over to core I 64 and purchase one of these new versions of the old ice pick. I have here in my notes that there have been some firmware updates. There have been several firmware updates for the 1541 Ultimate 2 and 2 Plus. I think those largely have to do with the audio, uh, being able to split uh, stereo tracks, and uh, there, there's lots of changes in there. So if you have a 1541 Ultimate, you probably already know this, but be sure to check uh, either the website or the Facebook group and look for updates for the firmwares. Uh, I found another Commodore 64 Wi-Fi modem. This is a build-it-yourself version. I will add the link. It is on uh, hpz.pw. Uh, so if you go there, you can find out. But uh, it looks like you can build a Wi-Fi modem yourself if you're uh, capable of soldering and, and ordering the parts for about $10. Now, I'm perfectly happy with the uh, the one that I purchased I haven't got to use it much over the past couple of months, but uh, if you don't want to spend the money and you'd rather build one yourself, it looks like you could do that for about $10. There have been a couple of recent Commodore 64-related Kickstarters. I know there's this For the Love of a Machine, uh, and there's also another book called The Inside Story. So, But I'm not, you know, this. Uh, I wrote these notes. I actually wrote them... Uh, a while ago. So, so this may be outdated information. So uh, depending on how those Kickstarters went, congratulations, or I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure how those went, but uh, uh, this seems to be the year or the era for Commodore 64. Lots of Commodore books, lots of Commodore Kickstarter projects, lots of Commodore stuff. So as I uh, have frequently said on this show, it's a great time uh, if you are a retro computer enthusiast. Lots of stuff going on with the ZX Spectrum, too, which uh, I couldn't care less about. <laughs> I don't know why they keep showing up on my Commodore news feeds. Um, 
Uh, that's a side rant. Anyway, uh, if you are a Commodore 64 developer, if you are writing Commodore games or software, then you might want to know that CBM Program Studio has been updated to version 3.10, and likewise, C64 Studio 5.1 has been released. So those are cross-platform development tools. They allow you to write Commodore games and software on your PC and then save those into uh, a Commodore format executable. So uh, that's uh, all the news that I have. I have some other stuff that I know is outdated, so we'll get things uh, back up to date with the next episode. I don't think that I had a winner for The Last King of the Castle. I went a little bit obscure. And uh, I used uh, a song from the Misfits, Die, Die, My Darling, uh, for the Skate or Die episode. And uh, so I think I'm going to change up the King of the Castle. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I I think uh, I'm going to do something new in the future. But I haven't decided what that is. So I may still include an 8-bit song at the end of the shows, but I don't think I'm going to do... Uh, King of the Castle the way that I was doing it. So uh, not sure what I'm going to do, like I said, but I will do something, but not this episode. (laughs) I'll have to figure out what that's going to be. So anyway, those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paper boy who delivered this week's paper directly through my front window. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. So this week's game is BC's Quest for Tires, and I was thinking of cavemen, and and, uh, for some reason that the opening... Uh, intro to the Flintstones where they order that giant slab of ribs and they put it on Fred Flintstone's car and the car tips over that kept popping to mind. And I thought, you know what, while I'm working on this episode, I should go get some ribs. And that turned out to be a terrible idea. It's very difficult to eat barbecue ribs while you're playing computer games. You really don't want barbecue sauce all over your old computer equipment. So I went out the other night, we went out for dinner and we decided to go to Billy Sims Barbecue. Now, Billy Sims is a uh, retired football player. He played for the Detroit Lions uh, for a while. I believe he uh, injured his knee or leg or something and uh, uh, was forced out of the NFL. But before that, Billy Sims was a star running back for the Oklahoma Sooners. So that's where most people around here know the name Billy Sims. Uh, and in retirement, uh, Billy Sims hasn't had it particularly easy. I believe he's lost a lot of money in gambling and bad investments. But he has returned to Oklahoma and opened the Billy Sims Barbecue chain of restaurants. And so we went to Billy Sims Barbecue, and it just so happened we went on a Tuesday night, which is all-you-can-eat ribs night. So <laughs> there must have been some uh, serendipity in the air. Uh, and so everything worked out. We had Billy Sims Barbecue, and I came back. With a full belly full of Billy Sims ribs and uh, barbecue sauce. And sat down and played this game for quite a while. So with uh, that in mind, let's segue into this week's game, which is BC's Quest for Tires. It was published for the Commodore 64 in 1983 by Sierra Online Incorporated. It is a game for one or two players that alternate, and it uses joystick controls. 
This game was available on cartridge, floppy disk, and cassette. Now, normally I talk about uh, anything else of note that was released by the company, and this company is Sierra Online. So uh, Sierra Online started out as Online Systems in 1980, but they changed their name to Sierra Online in 1982. They created the genre of graphic adventures when Ken and Roberta Williams released High Res Adventure Number 1, Mystery House. So before that, we had text adventures, and this was called the first graphic adventure. It was a text adventure that also uh, showed pictures. Their game, The Wizard and the Princess, is what put them on the map. It sold 60,000 copies. Uh, and that really made Sierra Online a household name. They were a huge game developer throughout the 1980s and 1990s. The company was actually sold in 1996 for just over $1 billion. So Sierra definitely made it in the publishing world. For the Commodore 64, Sierra Online was responsible for games such as Frogger, uh, Sammy Lightfoot, which I believe we've covered uh, earlier on an earlier episode. The Black Cauldron, which was a, a great uh, point-and-click adventure back on the PC. Uh, if you're familiar with the Quest-type games. Oh, well, you know what? I should mention, just for Commodore, they did Oils Well. They did Jawbreaker. Um, they actually were the publisher for Ultima 2 on the Commodore 64. So they brought lots of good games to the Commodore uh, they are probably better well-known for their Quest series of games on the IBM PC. That would include King's Quest, Space Quest, uh, Police Quest. They did the Leisure Suit Larry games. Uh, Heroes Quest, one of my favorite games. Uh, one of my first CD-based games I ever owned was Willie Beamish. Uh, they did the Incredible Machine series of games. Uh, most recently, they brought King's Quest to the PlayStation 4 in 2016. So uh, even though the company has changed hands, Sierra Online is still releasing games. So they have been one of the major software players uh, from the earliest days of home computing until today. Uh, the programmers listed for this port are Rick Banks and Michael Bate. Uh, Rick Worked on several games, including Dam Busters, Desert Fox, Deceptor, which was a great game, uh, Ace of Aces, Rackham, Mental Blocks, Blue Angels. Uh, he's even worked on some more modern things. He did uh, worked on Star Wars Monopoly and Qbert 2000. Uh, Michael Bate worked on some of those similar early, uh, I think these are accolade titles, Killed Until Dead, uh, Fight Night, Ace of Aces. Uh, so th those guys, uh, were the original programmers. And then, uh, uh, this game was actually ported to the Commodore by Chuck Benton. Now that name is very famous in regards to early software, software development. Um, he wrote the soft porn adventure, which is a very famous game, uh, that features, I believe Roberta Williams in a hot tub on the cover. Uh, and based off of that game, he is credited as being the designer of the first Leisure Suit Larry game. Um, those games are, are very similar. Uh, other ports he did, uh, other than BC's Quest for Tires, include Frogger and Crossfire.
So in popular culture, uh, the context of this game in the early 1980s, uh, we have a resurgence of popularity in, I guess I would say, cavemen. <laughs> uh, first of all, we have BC, uh, the comic strip, which is the uh, um, IP that this game is based on. It was written by Johnny Hart, and that car- uh, cartoon strip began in 1958. And Johnny Hart passed away while he was drawing in 2007. So if you're, I mean, if that's, uh, that's a way to go doing something that you love doing, uh, after that, his grandkids took over the strip. So, uh, around that time we had the, uh, BC had a uh, Christmas special, which aired on HBO in 1981. Uh, there was a series of drinking glasses, uh, released by Arby's also in 1981, so there was a lot of uh, BC, uh, you know, that the comic strip exposure in the early 1980s. Also, in the early 1980s, we have the Caveman movie starring Ringo Starr. <laughs> uh, that's in 81. And uh, Quest for Fire was also released in 81, which the title of this game is a play on that, of course, uh, Quest for Tires. So um, there's lots of early caveman references going on in the early 80s, uh, which probably led to the release of this game. On the front of the box, we have the title, which says BC's Quest for Tires. And on the left, we have Thor, who is the main character. Now, Thor is not the main character of the cartoon strip, but I guess it would make sense that if he were going, if there was an adventure, that you would use Thor. Uh, He is riding his unicycle with a stone wheel on it. Uh, And on the right, there is a dinosaur who's sticking out of a cave and he is holding Cute Chick. And that is who you're going to try to rescue in this game. And her name is Cute Chick. Uh, Both of those being capitalized words. Uh, It also says uh, by uh, Sierra Online and it's signed by um, Mr. Hart, the uh, uh, creator of the cartoon series. Uh, The back has a picture of a volcano. And there's a bird and a snake and a turtle and and, uh, all those characters come into play in the game. There are some screenshots, and if you look at the back, you will see that those are mocked-up screenshots. Those are not actual screenshots from the game. So uh, it is possible this was – the artwork was created before the game was finished. And then there's a blurb that we see uh, repeated a couple times, and it says, From the first man comes the last word in computer games. Quest for Tires stars Thor zipping through the world of BC on his prehistoric unicycle. His challenge is to ride through numerous scrolling screens of action to rescue Cute Chick from the hungry dinosaur. On the manual, uh, right at the very beginning, it explains uh, uh, what's going on. It says, help, help. It's Cute Chick and she's in trouble. The dinosaur is holding her captive. If Thor doesn't get to her in time, the dinosaur may even eat her. Yes, it's your favorite caveman, Thor, straight from the comic strip BC. So they really bend over backwards to let people know that this is uh, an actual license. These are licensed characters from an actual comic strip. Uh, they, They really go out of their way to point that out. When we fire up the game, we get the title screen, and the title screen is kind of a combination of both the front and back covers. We have Thor on the unicycle with the dinosaur. Uh, Cute Chick is not on the cover. There's an upside-down turtle, and then we have the title uh, of the game, obviously. On the menu screen, we can use the Commodore's function keys 
to select different things. F1 starts the game and it will restart the game while you are playing it. F3 selects what game level you wish to start on. F5 is the number of players, one or two, and F7 pauses the game. So let's get started playing the game. The controls are fairly simple. Uh, Using a joystick, left and right moves your character left and right on the screen. If you hold the button down and press left and right, that increases or decreases your speed. Uh, If you hold down on the joystick, Thor ducks. If you press up, he jumps. And while you're in the air, you can also move left and right. So this becomes very important when you're trying to jump over uh, potholes or rolling rocks. If you just press up, you will jump straight up and come straight down. You almost kind of hover <laughs> for just a moment and come down, but uh, it becomes difficult to jump those things, but you can press up and then over to the right before you come down. And that will help you cover uh, more ground when you jump. Uh, this game is very similar in design to moon patrol, except for obviously you can't shoot. Uh, So there are things for you to avoid on the ground, like rolling rocks and holes, and there are things for you to duck under, like branches. There is a part where you go through a cave and you have to avoid stalagmites and stalactites. Stalactites are the ones on the ceiling because they stick tight to the ceiling. Thank you, Mr. Hatcher, my sixth grade teacher, for teaching us that. Uh, Whenever you crash, Thor falls face down and the wheel of the unicycle goes bouncing away. Uh, You will see a window pop up that says help, help in the background, very similar to the uh, help bubble that we see in Donkey Kong. The way that the game works is that the screen is constantly scrolling, uh, but you stay in the same place unless you are moving, uh, you know, to the left or right. But Uh, So the background, just like Moon Patrol, the background is basically what scrolls and you essentially stay in the same place. Whenever you hit a new level or new section of a level, the background will change color. So that's how you know that you've uh, uh, reached a new area. Going faster at a lot of points makes the game actually easier. For example, when you're trying to jump over uh, potholes in the ground, the faster you go, the faster the potholes move underneath you. Uh, so when you're going slow, it's much more difficult to jump over things than when you are traveling fast. Uh, and as I'll discuss later, the faster you reach the end, the higher your bonus will be as well. So there is an incentive to speeding up as you're playing. There is a section that I call the turtle level, uh, and the turtle level is very similar to the pitfall section where you jump across the alligator uh, heads, where you land on the alligators. It's a combination of that and Frogger when you have to jump on the turtles and the turtles will submerge themselves into the water. So it's presented like pitfall, like a side screen, and there are multiple turtles and they are moving up and down independently in the water. So you must jump from turtle back to turtle back while on your unicycle and waiting at the other end is fat broad who is standing there with a large club. And so you have to start and time it to where when you jump all the way across fat broad is not swinging her bat. If you hit the bat, you'll die. If you touch the water, uh, you will die. So this is really, um, it takes some timing and is a part of the game where you need to wait until all the turtles are kind of maybe in sync or in the way that you want, because the turtles move up and down independently at different speeds. So this is uh, one of the more challenging parts of uh, the game. Uh, 
then there's a part where you will go up a hill and you will find a giant pit. And the pit is so large uh, that you can't jump over it. And so what you will see is a bird flying overhead who is known as the dookie bird. And you need to align your speed the same as the dookie bird and then jump up. And if you time it just right, he will grab you and carry you over the pit. Now, the interesting part about this is that as a kid, I didn't have the manual to this game. And so it took me, I mean, it seems like weeks of trying this before I figured out what you were supposed to do. However, the manual tells you exactly what you're supposed to do. <laughs> so if I had only uh, had the manual, I would have known that the dookie bird uh, would carry you across the pit. Uh, eventually you get all the way down and, uh, there's another section where there are more turtles and the dinosaur's head is sticking out of a cave. And so again, you have to time your leaps over the turtles, avoid the dinosaur's head. And when you do that, you win, you rescue cute chick. There are many hearts. And then the game starts all over on a slightly more difficult path. Um, you'll, things will go faster. You won't be able to slow down as much. Um, but you know, just like moon patrol, just like, uh, all those types of games, it basically wraps around and starts over, I guess, kind of almost like jungle hunt, I guess, where it starts over, but things are a little bit more difficult. Uh, there is one level where rocks fall from the sky and you have to judge, uh, like avoid hitting them and jump over them if they hit the ground before you. And I found that the sprite detection on that level was really off. Uh, there were a lot of times where the rocks were not, didn't hit me, <laughs> but I died anyway. So uh, that, that level was definitely frustrating. Uh, so according to the manual, here's the score. Uh, rocks, potholes, logs, and branches. Uh, each one of those that you avoid is worth 10 points. Falling rocks and rolling rocks are worth 15 points. Uh, and then uh, there's a multiplier. So depending on how fast you're going, the slowest you could go is 10 miles an hour. And so if you are between 10 and 29 miles per hour, uh, there is a 1x multiplier. 30 to 48, there is a 2x multiplier. 50 to 68 is 3x. And 70 to 80 miles an hour is 4x. So if you're going at max speed, uh, you can build up quite a bit more points by avoiding those obstacles. Getting over the lava pit is worth 200 points. Uh, maneuvering the cliff is 100. It says rivers is 200. I guess that's a um, the, the turtle obstacle. And when you beat the entire level, you get one bonus tire. And that's how, that's how the game works. Uh, according to uh, RetroComputerScene.com, the high score listed there is uh, 21,045 points. So at... 10 points a rock, <laughs> you can see that uh, you have to go through many, many levels to get a score that high. Looking back at reviews on this game, reviews of this game are not good. And I'll tell you what my theory of that is. Uh, Computer and Video Game Magazine gave it 6 out of 10. Zap Magazine gave it 57%. So, those reviews don't sound, I mean, those scores aren't very good, but I looked on Lemon 64. This game won the Critics' Choice Award, Best Game for Youngsters. It won the Archie Award for the Most Humorous Video or Computer Game. It won ColecoVision's Game of the Year. 
It won Best Use of Graphics and Sound in a Video Game. And in 1984, it won the Golden Floppy Award for Excellent Funniest Game of the Year. So this game got a lot of awards, and it was thought of very highly. But if you look at reviews, the reviews aren't very good. And I believe the reason for that is because this game isn't very difficult, and there's not much to it. So uh, <clears throat> when when I think of games that I have beat, I've probably talked about this maybe on You Don't Know Flack, but there aren't very many games that I would say that I have you know completely beaten. Probably definitely less than 10 <laughs> in my life. And a lot of those are games uh, that require you to put a lot of quarters in to beat. And I just, so I'm not good. I just have a lot of quarters. <laughs> so looking at BC's Quest for Tires, in the early days of home computing, this game seemed very amazing. I mean, it was like you were playing a cartoon strip. It was great. But computer games and home video games advanced very quickly. And so the games of 1984 were much more advanced than the games of 1983. And the games of 1985 were even more advanced than the ones from 1984. It just happened very quickly. So I think a lot of these, I mean, the review from uh, Computer and Video Game Magazine is from 1986. So to say that the game is simple uh, or not very complex or not very challenging, it, it's looking at a game that was released three years prior. So I'm not sure that, uh, I think if you looked at reviews from the, the year that the game was released, I think they're, they're much more uh, favorable. Ports, uh, this game was released for the Apple II, the Atari 8-bit computers, the ColecoVision, the MSX, there was a DOS version, and my favorite computer line, the ZX Spectrum. So any of those, uh, uh, you can play this game on that. Uh, under how to play this game today, I just have a big blank, I think. If you want to play this game today, you're going to have to use an emulator and play it on one of those platforms. I don't find any updated versions, and I don't see any versions uh, for mobile uh, platforms. On eBay, you can find this game relatively inexpensive. I mean, it was a name game, and it was tied to a property, so it's a little bit more than some of the generic ones. You can find it uh, loose cartridge I found for $20. I found the loose disc for $13.49 and a complete cassette for $8.59. Uh, but you can look around and find deals. I saw a um, boxed, new inbox copy for $15, and... Uh, a new inbox cassette for 1073. So that seems to be about the range uh, for this game. Now let's get into my personal memories of BC's Quest for Tires. So my dad's friend, Tom Adams, opened his own computer store very early uh, in the early 1980s. And uh, uh, we went and visited that store. My dad and I went and visited that store. And that is the first time in my life that I ever saw a Commodore 64 computer. And that computer was playing BC's Quest for Tires. So that is the first game, I mean, bar none, 
That is the first Commodore 64 game I ever saw, and it's the first time I ever saw a Commodore 64. So I do have a bit of a soft spot in my heart for this game. I also have a a lot of memories in regards to this comic strip. I used to get, I think, you know, these were pretty popular back in the day. Uh, my mom would buy me these paperback books of comic strips, and I had a lot of uh, BC's, uh, BC paperback books and Wizard of Id, which was by also by Johnny Hart. And I had um, Mama, <laughs> which was, I guess, another popular comic strip. And later on, uh, Garfield and some other stuff like that. But those were really popular. And I had a lot of those Wizard of Id and BC paperback books. So I was familiar with uh, the cavemen and their little world and the, the snake and, and uh, uh, cute chicken, fat broad and all those characters. So there was probably, you know, it's a combination of being familiar with the comic strip and seeing that Commodore for the first time. Um, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to do things in this game as a kid, which, like I said, are explicitly explained in the manual. It tells you about the dookie bird that will carry you over the pit and how certain things work. So, uh, so those are, are, I can't fault the game for, but, uh, it just kind of reminds me of how challenging getting Commodore games or downloading games with no instructions was. And then you had to figure out how to do things. Uh, and so I think a lot of games, not, not this one necessarily, but other, uh, like role-playing games, people give bad reviews for because they say that they're, uh, too complicated, but by too complicated, these are people that don't have the user manual. So, uh, but those are those are my memories of this game. I played this game a lot. Um, it's a definitely it is a simple game that you could just sit down and play uh, really quickly, and you shouldn't have too much trouble beating it all the way through the first time. On this, uh, while I was was playing for for uh, working on this episode, I probably went through three or four levels without too much uh, effort. So, but it, it does ramp up. It starts getting pretty fast later on. For graphics, I give this game four out of five stone wheels. It literally looks like you are playing a comic book. And, and considering that this game was released for the Commodore in 1983, they did an excellent job. For music, I give one or even zero out of five stone wheels. There is no background music, and that's too bad because that really would have added to the, the comic kind of theme of the game. For sound effects, I give it two out of five stone wheels. There are only a few sound effects uh, whenever you jump and whenever you die, and you will be hearing both of those over and over and over. But that being said, overall gameplay, I give this game four out of five stone wheels. I think it is a very fun game to play. It's easy to play, and it really shows you what a great game looked like back in 1983. Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. If you want to play this week's game, head on over to SpriteCastle.com and click the downloads link at the top of the page where you can download Commodore 64 emulators and all the games that have been reviewed on the show. If you'd like to send me a game request, feedback about this, or any other episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at RobOHara at RobOHara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodore, follow the show on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Sprite Castle, 
or leave me a voicemail on the Flat Podcast Hotline at 405-486-YDKF. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the SpriteCastle.com RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flack, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all of these shows at robohair.com forward slash podcasts. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore is Awesome, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. For links to these and more websites, check out the list of links on the right-hand side of SpriteCastle.com. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to avoiding fat broads, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle.